You're talking about it. I'll be talking about it. Dennis Prager here. Join me this morning at 11, right here on AM 560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I'm just watching the Chirons this morning on CNN. It's always fascinating comparing what's actually contained in the statement that President Trump issued on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and America's ongoing relationship with the Saudi, with the Saudi royal family and, uh, and what he said as well to the D.C. press corps and what CNN is reporting. A couple of the headlines. Trump ignores CIA assessment uh, on the Khashoggi murder. Another Chiron. Trump defies calls for sanctions. Um, do not de- de- defies calls for punishment is another one. Well, um, sanctions have been issued against 17 Saudis that have been that were known to have been involved in the murder of Khashoggi. That's number one. Uh, also, in terms of the CIA assessment, uh, I, he said specifically, I'm not taking the Saudis version of events that Khashoggi was some kind of enemy of the state or member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, Our intelligence agencies continue to assess all information, but it could very well be that the crown prince had knowledge of this tragic event. Maybe did, maybe he didn't, writes Trump. That's not exactly the same thing as ignoring the CIA's assessment. For more on the coverage of that story, the coverage of the arrest and domestic violence charges against Avenatti, and uh, also some conversation about uh, DOJ and FBI computer surveillance. We're pleased to be joined again by our friend Cheryl Ackeson, celebrated investigative journalist, the author of the book The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. Cheryl, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What, what about uh, what we're seeing in the last 24 hours from uh, the president's statement, whatever you think about the quality of the statement or the political and policy position he's taking, and the uh, D.C. press corps' reporting of it? It's pretty much the same formula has has been followed for the past two and a half years, which is um, there is, regardless of anything that happens, an effort by some to create narratives that are wholly dismissive or critical of the president, no matter what the facts are, and then the narratives are put out that shapes an event a particular way, sometimes out of contact, sometimes with entirely false facts. And then many in the media kind of run with it, and then that's all you see on most of the news outlets for the ensuing maybe 24, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks to me very much like an operation, which I've written about in my book, The Smear, and that's kind of all I see today when I look at news events. Do you think President Trump is siding with Saudis over our own U.S. intelligence? I really don't know. I mean, I haven't studied it. I just know that when I see the reporting and it is so on narrative Mm -hmm. without offering the other side, there's usually more than two sides to every story. And when things are presented and appear as one-sided as they often do, I'm immediately suspect. And I always want to see the whole thing in context. And almost every time the last couple of years I've looked, the context has been different or has shed new light on whatever subject is being covered than what was presented. And uh, sometimes you don't get any sides, as in the case of Michael Avenatti's arrest on domestic violence charges, and now the uh, news of uh, his accuser, who she is, her background as an actress and the like, uh, some statements that were pulled by other online news outlets from the restraining order she obtained against Michael Avenatti, 
apparently they were in some kind of romantic relationship. Now, again, this is all alleged, but uh, the D.C. press corps has no problem reporting allegations and making conclusions, uh, adjudicating the cases on their cable news shows. But former CNN, MSNBC contributor Michael Avenatti, it's a veritable blackout. Well, the odd, one of the odd techniques being used is when something is said that some of the media don't want to believe, they'll say it's without evidence, which many statements are, I guess if you want to look at it that way, presented without evidence. They're statements of opinion or fact. But they, they make that phraseology or that qualification if Trump or someone they don't like is making it. Then when they make other statements that are wholly without evidence themselves, they act as though it's proof solid. And kind of the same thing with the Avenatti accusations. I agree with you. He deserves, like everybody, the benefit of the doubt. Um, obviously, innocent until proven guilty. And I don't, quote, believe all women because women have been proven to lie many times. Mm -hmm. So we have to know the facts. But on the other hand, if you look at the way this was covered, as you said, compared to the way other things were covered that were just accusations, it's a completely different standard. And we see that over and over again in the media. I mean, there's pictures this time, though. I don't know if you saw them. TMZ um, obtained that, and they're calling them alleged um, accusers' photos, but it's showing bruising on the arm and bruising on her hand. And I just, you know, she said that this didn't happen just once, that there was another incident in February where he also dragged her out of the apartment and, you know, she hit her head against the wall. Well, it doesn't really matter to me at this point because I don't know her. I don't know him. And... You know, even when allegations seem credible, I've learned through news coverage that sometimes they aren't. Sometimes things you even think you saw in a video turn out to have an entirely different context. So I would withhold judgment on that. But I take your point that there is at least some evidence to these allegations when at times some in the media don't, you know, don't require any evidence to indict somebody that they don't like versus defending someone they do like. And I wonder how... Uh aggressive these D.C. press corps outlets will be in trying to get that exclusive interview with the woman making the charge against Avenatti as they would of anybody who had anything to say about Brett Kavanaugh or other targets uh, that the, uh, other people that they don't like or have political differences with. And I understand Brett Kavanaugh, Supreme Court justice, more important position than Michael Avenatti, porn star lawyer. But yeah, still, but he wants you, to run for president. Well, he wants to run for president, number one. And number two, hey, CNN, MSNBC, do you feel any responsibility to hold to account a person that you elevated to national prominence? Well, I would also, someone was asking me about this yesterday in terms of using sources and how pasted all over TV he was. Again, I don't know him, but just his mannerisms and demeanor oh, yeah. present as someone I would be very careful with. Doesn't mean that I wouldn't use him as a source if he had information. And I would check out the information, but I certainly wouldn't, you know, place all my faith in him just based on the things he said and the things he's done. That's part of being a reporter, sort of choosing who are the reliable, authentic sources for the information and the stories that you you do. And I'm, I don't think that we were very selective when we placed him all over television and put our full faith behind a lot of the allegations he was making. Right. I think yeah. that well, it's hard to avoid to be him, very though. poor judgment. It's well, hard to avoid him because he's Stormy Daniels' attorney. Well, but but where's the healthy? I mean, I think what what you're saying, Shell, where's the healthy skepticism across the board? It's it's taking everything at face value when it's a political fellow traveler, and it's cynical reporting against political opponents. 
let me point out, we in the media, typically, when it comes to somebody's lawyer, even in an important case, we hesitate to plaster them all over the place for various reasons. We don't want to promote a lawyer and his business beyond covering a story. And number two, he was widely used as a pundit. They started using him yeah. just to comment on unrelated things outside the Stormy Daniels case. So, again, I think that's sort of questionable taste. On yeah. the part of some journalists. Oh, yeah, I'm just seeing what I'm seeing point. right now. I'm so surprised CNN and MSNBC have not parted ways with him. I think if it was anybody else, I would have just said, you know, hit the high road. What do you think? They probably would have. Now, now they're offering him what he's entitled to, I suppose, the benefit of the doubt and the ability to, you know, clear his name. But I, I agree with you. I don't think they would offer that or have offered that to others. Uh, I wanted to uh, also uh, tackle this topic of uh, your suit against uh, DOJ and FBI for computer surveillance-related matters. Can you uh, can you explain that? Well, um, I'm still suing FBI and DOJ for computer intrusions that were forensically discovered in my CBS and home computers back starting around 2013. And the case finally began moving last year through court. Um, it's grown very expensive, and of course, I don't have any support from civil rights or journalism organizations that you would think would be involved. Um, but I was speaking at a legal seminar on Fourth Amendment surveillance abuses, and this is a landmark case. The lawyers knew about it and wanted to know the status and who was helping with it. And when I said there really wasn't any support, some of them got together and have a GoFundMe page that they're now um, contributing to try to get the fun built up as I continue because, you know, the Obama justice department began fighting the case. Of course, now the Trump justice department continues fighting it. Same people. And, um, they have unlimited tax money they're spending to obstruct and make sure I don't get discovery and don't get the information that we need to, you know, find out the names of the people who were involved in installing the keystroke monitoring program, planning classified documents, using my Skype to exfiltrate files, um, and to listen in on audio. I mean, all kinds of things. It, it's remarkable, it's isn't it, what, what's, like what's movie happened? Movie script that you just read. Well, it's also what uh, Alan Dershowitz has lamented, too. Where's the ACLU uh, standing on principle in these matters, regardless of who the uh, plaintiff and the defendant are, or you know, in a legal setting, but any, regardless of who's making the charges and who's the target of the charges, where, where are they, especially after all the, your... Uh, experience, James Rosen, others, the lies before congressional committees from Jim Clapper uh, uh, about the metadata collection and uh, others who've clearly lied before Congress or at least telling different stories. And the left and these civil rights organizations, these press watchdogs uh, that are supposed to you know, act as sort of a check on a government abuses, at least that's their calling, their stated calling, they're nowhere to be found. They're fully in liege with the state. Uh, it's like the protests to protect Robert Mueller. I mean, the left protesting to protect a former FBI director. Strange times. Well, there may have always been an element of this, but I think we've reached a new high in terms of double standards. If one entity does something, it's treated one way. If another entity does the exact same thing, it's treated entirely differently. And so we as news organizations and advocacy groups are losing some of their credibility in terms of the idea that they were just out there to pursue the facts wherever they fell and to go after wrongdoing wherever it occurred. It doesn't look like that anymore. 
She is Cheryl Atkinson, investigative journalist. The book, The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. And Cheryl, what's the GoFundMe page? Um, it's called the Atkinson Fourth Amendment Litigation Fund. If anybody wants to check it out, and I'm super appreciative of it. Thank you. Atkinson Fourth Amendment Litigation Fund. Cheryl Atkinson, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. You too. Have a great one. And she joined us on our turnkey.proam.